If you're new to Grace Point, um, joining us for the first time or joining us for the first time in a long time, we're um, at the middle part of a series called um, Sacred Pathways. Um, We're in part three of four. We'll wrap this up next week. And uh, this series is all about this really big, giant idea that the one true and living God has invited you. He's invited me into um, relationship. He's invited us to draw near to him, and we can draw near to him as well. The premise of the series is that there's only one way to the Father. I know that is not politically correct in our culture, uh, but Jesus was very clear about that, and where Jesus is clear, we will be clear. Jesus was clear that I am the only way to the Father. Jesus is the door. Um, he's He's the path, but on that path, there are multiple expressions of how we are going to draw near to the Father. Um, so this series is all about what, what, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for my personality, the way that I'm wired, um, my experiences, the things that, um, that, that, I've, that have been invested in me um, through, through spiritual leaders. And we've based this series around a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways. Some of you uh, got that book and started reading it. Some of you knew about it. There's nothing biblical about these nine pathways. There's nothing final. This is not gospel truth. This is just one guy's observations. Um, but we, we asked you to take the assessment on our website. Many of you have already done that. Um, many of you haven't, or some of you haven't. If you haven't and you still want to do that, that's still there. Uh, feel free to check that out, to, to join in on all the fun and uh, make more sense of the series as we head towards uh, the finish line. So part one was kind of an introduction. Last week, Josh took one of three common practices for all of the pathways. Um, and he focused on this idea in Colossians 3 that, that, that God wants the message of Christ to dwell richly in you. Um, like one of the images that I had when I was listening to Josh teach last week was this idea of a dry sponge that gets into a bowl of water, right? Like, like Jesus is living water. The message of Jesus is living water. And it, it comes in and it fills all of the holes. It expands our life like a sponge. And, and, and regardless of your pathway, regardless of how um, you're, you're, you're wired, like that's for all of us. We're to soak in the message of Jesus. We're allow the gospel to fill all of the places in our hearts, all the places in our lives, and it just expands our hearts. It expands our lives. So if you missed that message last week, really want to encourage you um, to catch up at some point. Uh, we're going after another common practice for all the pathways this week, okay? And, and you've already heard it, but this is something that we've all done, even if we only did it once. And many of us do this every single day. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device, you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible or a mobile device, we'll throw these on the screen so we can all um, interact with this. And um, before we jump into the text, I want to say um, this might be a little bit challenging for some of you, uh, depending on the religious or, or church background that you came from. Um, or maybe from the, the, the home environment that you grew up in. It might even be a little bit offensive. So I just want to go ahead 
and give you permission to call your former pastor or call your former priest and say, hey, I heard this really crazy pastor guy say this. Is, is, is he, is that, really, did that happen that way? Okay, totally fine. You don't need my permission to call him, but you have it to call them, okay? Um, but today, today we're going to ask the question, what does Jesus think about prayer? What does Jesus think about it? And anytime you ask what Jesus thinks about something and then open the Bible to find the answer, it's generally not what most people think it, uh, it, it is. It, it, it challenges our preconceived notions. It, it messes with our category. So there's a lot, of, a lot of things that Jesus said about prayer, a lot of things that Jesus taught about prayer, but I want just once again for us to look at the primary place that he taught about it. And the interesting thing is, is his audience is a lot like our audience. His audience is a lot like us. Some of them thought there was a right way and a wrong way to pray. Some of us think there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Um, some of his audience had certain prayers memorized and they said the same things over and over and over and over again right? Some of um, them thought God was impressed by really long prayers with really flowery language. Some of them uh, wouldn't pray in public because they thought, I don't know how. Some of them would listen to Jesus pray and they would walk away going, I'm obviously not doing it right. And that, to that audience, to, to our audience, Jesus teaches us to pray. So Matthew Chapter 6, starting in verse 5, what did Jesus think about prayer? And how do we learn from that? How do we draw near to the Father in the way that he's designed us through prayer? Okay, I'm going to give you four statements throughout. So if you're a note taker or a screen picture taker, get ready. Okay, here's the first statement. We are to pray. We are to pray. Where do I get that? Verse 5, and when you pray. This is how Jesus starts it. And when you pray, not if you pray, not if you like to pray, it's when you pray. Jesus kind of expects that we're going to pray. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're not really a God person, or maybe you're trying to figure that out, or you're not really sure, there are moments in your life where you think to yourself, I can't handle this. I can't figure this out. I need, I need help beyond me, and you say something to somebody out there somewhere. You pray. Even though you won't admit that, you pray. Jesus says, when you pray, whether you feel comfortable with it, whether you grew up doing it, whether you think you're connecting or not, when you pray, right? But also say this, uh, people who do what I do, Pastors, uh, well-meaning Sunday school teachers, parents, grandparents, maybe they taught you that prayer is simply talking to God. It's just talking to God, and that's certainly an element of prayer. But Jesus is going to go on and very specifically define prayer. And in the end, he gives us kind of a model prayer. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's more to prayer than simply talking to God, because let's be honest, there are people you talk to all the time that you don't want to draw near towards, right? In fact, there are people that you talk to all the time that you want to draw away from. You don't want to have anything to do with drawing near to them, but you talk to them all the time. So praying cannot simply be talking to God if we're trying to draw near. That's a different level. 
That's something different. So, so what might that look like? He goes on to tell us, here's the second thing. Not only are we to pray, we are to pray in private. We are to pray in private. And here's the rest of verse five. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, pay attention here because I'm gonna ask you a question about this. Truly, I tell you, they, the people who pray publicly, for everybody to hear their long, wonderful prayers, they have received the reward in full. So here's, here's the question. What's their reward? What's their reward? According to Jesus, what is the reward for people who pray publicly and do it to be seen by others? What's their reward? Recognition. Yeah, they, they, they've, they've, they've been seen. People have saw, wow, that was such a good prayer. So holy. They just, they just used a four-syllable word. Right? It's so good. Jesus says, when people pray in public with that motive, they've received their reward. Public recognition. It stops right there. And then he contrasts it with this. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your, and if I could add a word here, your unseen Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, if I could be just transparent here for a moment, and I'll fully understand if you want to change churches after this, but I think you might be able to identify, okay? Most of the time when I pray, I don't feel like anybody's listening. Most of the time when I pray, I'll say what I want to say, I'll ask what I want to ask, I'll think what I want to think, I'll beg what I want to beg, I'll plead with God, and then it's just silent. We were talking about this, <clears throat> I think it was in, our, in, in, in my D group this week, and it, it's funny, talking to God is called prayer, but when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia, <laughs> right? Like, why is that? But that, that's, that's my experience. It's just as quiet after I'm done praying as it was before. And it, I just, sometimes I wonder if anybody's listening. But can I show you? Can I show you what Jesus just promised you? Let me read it again. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret. Do, do you know when you go into the unseen place to pray, to draw near to your unseen father? He sees you. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the confidence that he sees me is enough. Like, even if he doesn't answer, even if he doesn't rearrange my circumstances, even if he doesn't do what I'm asking him to do, the fact that he sees me, that's enough. And Jesus makes this promise. When you go to the unseen place to pray to the unseen father, he sees you, it gets even better. He will reward you. Now, what's the reward? We, we know that the person who prays in public gets public recognition. But what's the reward for the person who prays to the unseen father in the unseen place? Ooh. 
Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, but I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's the same reward for the person who prays in public. You see, the reward for the person who prays in public is public recognition by people. I think the reward for the person who prays in private is private recognition by the Father. And, and, and there's something, like I can't completely fully explain it. There's something about spending time in the unseen place with the unseen Father that results in him knowing you and in you knowing him. And, and, and like the, the, the best example I have, I, again, I'm not sure if Jesus is even saying this, but when I look up to the people who have that kind of prayer life where they go into their closet on a regular basis and they're not bragging about it, I just, I just know that's what they're doing. Those are the people that I, I think they know the Father because they've drawn near to him over and over and over and over again in the unseen place. There's something about that that allows us to know him and him to know us. That's what praying in the unseen place to the unseen father, that's, how, that's what we're, how we're rewarded. And so Jesus says to us, those who love to spend time and those who hate it, all the extroverts who can't wait to see somebody in the morning and all the introverts who can go through lunch without seeing anybody and it's a glorious day. Regardless of what side you fall on, Jesus says, you're to pray, and number two, you're to find that unseen quiet place and pray to your unseen Father. He goes on in verse seven. Here's the third thing. God is moved by our humility, not our rhetoric. Verse seven. And when you pray, again, there it is. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Okay, there's, there's this group of people that think the way to get God's attention is to use a lot of words, to pray a long time, because, you know, if you just pray for 30 seconds, God misses that. It's like, whew, it's gone. But if you pray for a minute, it's like, okay, that kind of gets God's attention a little bit. You pray for 10 to 15 minutes, wow. Right? It's like, whoa, look at them go. You pray for an hour, you have his undivided attention. If you pray all night, he basically has to do what you're asking him to do, Right? There's this thought in his audience. And, and I think that thought still exists to this day. There's this idea, this mentality, that the words you use, the length of your prayer, the number of times you repeat the same phrase, that that somehow holds weight with God or gets his attention in a way that it wouldn't otherwise. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Because that goes somewhere. Like, we don't have time to talk about this, but that isn't, that isn't just a practice. That's a pathway. That takes you somewhere. That mentality takes you somewhere. And Jesus says, don't be like that. God is not moved by the amount of words. He's not moved by the choice of words, the repetition of words. None of that impresses God. So I just want to give you, I want to remind you of some great news. Your Heavenly Father has invited you into relationship. And the relation, in relationships, there are no formulas. There's no memorized lines. There's no cues that you have to hit to connect. It's you and me, and we're in communion with each other. We're talking, we're listening, we're communing. You don't conduct. 
Relationships in formulas and memorized lines. You conduct relationships conversationally, right? And so Jesus says, look, for, for the person who thinks they'll get more affection or attention from God because they pray longer or say the same things over and over, time out. Doesn't work like that. Because this is a relationship. You've been invited to pray. But don't, you don't move the heart of God with your rhetoric. You move the heart of God. You connect with the heart of God through your humility. And then, if that's not bad enough, he bursts our bubble in the biggest way. He, he says something we all know, but the fact that we know it doesn't always register. Right? Here, here, here's what he says. Why you don't need to worry about what you say or repeat it a hundred times is because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So motivating, isn't it? It's like God's not taking notes when I pray. He already knows. Yeah, he does. But it's even worse than that. Because God already knew what you were going to ask him before you asked him, and he already decided whether or not he was going to say yes or not before you asked him. God has already decided to say no or yes, and you haven't even asked him that. He's like, okay, go ahead and ask me. Thanks. No. <laughs> did your parents ever do that to you? My parents did that to me all the time. <laughs> like, they knew what they were going to say but they wanted me to ask. They wanted me to ask. And Jesus is brilliant. Nobody would have made this up. Like it's one of the reasons I believe it's inspired. Jesus says, I don't want to burst your bubble, but the reason it doesn't matter how long you pray or what you say, the reason of that doesn't get God's attention is because before you ever even asked, he already knew. He already knew and he already decided what he was going to do about it. In fact, I mean, isn't it true? Sometimes he gives you things you don't even ask for. <laughs> it, it, and there, there's other times where he ignores the things you ask about over and over and over again. You may spend all night praying about some things and he's already decided to say no. And then there's those weeks where you're so broken, you're so lost, you can't even pray. And he says, I'm going to provide anyway. This is the mystery. This is the messiness of God. If you got God in a box, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. And when you hear all that, like when you read this and you hear all that, like what's the common gut level human response to hearing all that? It's like, why? What, what's, the, what's the response? Why pray? Right? Why pray? Why should I pray if he's already answered before I've decided? Why, why should I pray if he already knows what I need? And the reason we ask that question is because we misunderstand prayer. This is the very reason Jesus decided to set them straight. The reason we feel helpless, the reason we feel like, that like prayer is futile whenever we read this, is because we think prayer is about informing God. We think prayer is about convincing or coaxing or, or twisting God's arm. But according to Jesus, prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing us. 
Prayer is about drawing near to God in such a way that as we get closer and closer, as we draw near over and over and over, we change over and over and over. He doesn't change. But as we draw near, he changes us over and over and over. Our will, we're going to look at this in a minute, our will begins to line up and sync with his will. That's why we pray. It's, it's about drawing near, not getting what we want, not getting your spouse to change. It's not about, about all these trinkets that we want. It's about drawing near, not getting your circumstances rearranged to fit your will. And that's kind of disturbing. It's kind of disturbing. I want to know, like, I want to know how to pray in such a way that God has to say yes. Right? I want the formula. And Jesus says, that's why you pray the way you pray. That's why you think about prayer the way you think about prayer. But I'm here to tell you, you're approaching it all wrong. And after that, after that teaching, Jesus gives us what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And the tragedy of what's happened with the Lord's Prayer is that we've taken it and done precisely what Jesus just taught us not to do. Right? He's just said, don't pray with a formula. So we take this prayer and pray it like a formula. He said, don't repeat the same thing over and over again. We say, yes, sir, and repeat this prayer over and over and over again. He says, this isn't about saying the right words, so I'll do the right things. And we pray these words precisely the way they've been written, preferably from the King James Version, because it sounds so holy. As if we're going to get God to do what we want. We, we take the Lord's Prayer and apply it in the very opposite way that Jesus taught. And listen, I know we are creatures of habit. I appreciate the routine. I appreciate the ritual. I am not trying to change 2,000 years of church history here. All I'm saying is, isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that kind of strange that we do that? Here's the fourth point, and then we'll look at the prayer. Fourth point is prayer is about submitting to God's will and declaring our dependence on him. That's what Jesus teaches us in the prayer. He doesn't give us, say this. He gives us, do it this way. Approach it this way. This isn't about getting or arm twisting, convincing, coaxing, controlling. Prayer is an expression of our submission to his will and our dependence on his provision. Jesus teaches this starting in verse 9. This then, in other words, in light of everything I've just said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, before I ask anything, I just want to recognize who I'm talking to. I just want to recognize that even your name is different. Even your name is holy. This is who I'm talking to. Your kingdom come. I've got a little K kingdom. I'm going to go home after today and watch the chief's kingdom. That's a little K kingdom, people. I'm sorry. It's a little K kingdom. And God has a big K kingdom. And before I talk about my little K kingdom, I just want you to know I'm submitting to your big K kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here's the hard part. On earth. In other words, 
in my life. This little patch of dirt that I stand on and my marriage, my health, my finances, my job, my future, the tragedy that I'm looking at right in front of me, your will be done on earth just as consistently as I know it's done in heaven. And, and I, I'm going to poke here a little bit. I wonder if we say the Lord's Prayer as this memorized, mindless prayer in order to skip over the your will be done part. Because if we say the prayer, it feels good, it feels right, it feels, it feels almost holy just to say it because it's in Scripture and Jesus taught it this way. So obviously it has some kind of power. And we say it or we repeat it over and over and over again and I wonder if our hearts aren't engaged with the your will be done. God already knows. (laughs) He already knows what you need. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But do you know the one thing he can't do? He can't force you to surrender your will because you've been made free. Liberty is in your DNA. You have free choice. And the great thing about prayer is not that you get cool stuff from God. The unbelievable, wonderful privilege of prayer is that I get to come as a free free individual and say, I choose to surrender my will to yours because I know that's the way to freedom. I surrender. It's not the words. It's not the repetition. It's not the rhetoric. It's all about the surrender. And you use whatever words it takes to get there. Here's the second part. Now now that we've settled the issue of whose will and kingdom takes priority, here's the part we love. Give. Gimme, 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 gimme. Love this. Give us today our daily bread, which, by the way, has been taken care of for most of us, way beyond our need. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Don't forget the second part, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's how the prayer ends, at least according to Matthew. To which some of you go, he didn't say amen? And what about the... Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That didn't show up for another 300 years. That was added on. That'll mess with some of you. That's messing with some of you right now. Okay? But if you've got a good, Bible, a good study Bible, it'll tell you. The early church loved this prayer so much, but they hated the ending. And so about 300 years after Jesus, you start seeing this, this ending showing up in the manuscripts. But as far as we know, Jesus didn't say it. It's not a part of the earliest manuscripts. And again, call your former pastor, call your former priest, ask them if you don't trust me. But Jesus' point was not pray this prayer. His point was, I want you to pray. I want you to pray in private. 
I don't care how many words you use because I already know what you're going to say. But when you draw near to me in prayer, I want you to come with two things in mind. I want you to surrender your will and declare your dependence. Surrender, declare, surrender, declare, surrender, declare. If you do those two things, you're going to draw near to the heart of the Father. That's how you pray. And, and I don't know this, but I wonder if the disciples who were used to these grand public four-syllable word prayers went, that's it? That's all? And, and, and Jesus said, that's all for now. Surrender your will to his, to his and then declare your dependence on him. And, and they, they went on. See, the longest prayers I've ever prayed have not been the gimme, gimme, gimme prayers. The longest prayers, the, the thing that keeps me praying for a long time is the I surrender my will prayers. And, and sometimes it sounds like this. God, <laughs> I want to want to do your will, but I don't want to right now. I want the desire to do your will, but I don't want to right now. So here I am in this unseen place, partly out of habit, but mostly because I can't sincerely say your will be done, so I'm not going to leave until I can. And those are the moments. Those, those are the times, the most significant moments of prayer, at least, at least for me. And, and the way you do that is probably going to look different than the way I do that. The way you go about praying is probably going to be different than the way that I do, but depending on your pathway. I talk about that in the small group video this week. If you're in a small group, you'll hear it. If you want it, it's on our website. But if, if you make that the habit of your life to pray, pray in the unseen place to the unseen Father, refuse to get hung up on words and formulas and memorized prayers, just approach it knowing, you know what? He already knows what I need before I ask. So I'm just going to spend this time surrendering and declaring. I'm going to surrender my will and declare my dependence. That's how Jesus taught me to pray. And that's what I'm going to do to draw near to him. Can, can you imagine if every Christian prayed like that? Just don't, don't think worldwide. Don't think United States. Don't even think Topeka. What if every follower of Jesus that's a part of Grace Point prayed like that? What would that change? What would that change in you? What would that change in your family? What would that, what would that change in us? If we prayed like that, that those who love the quiet place and those who can't stand it, the introverts, the extroverts, everything in between, imagine if just the followers of Jesus at Grace Point prayed from their own heart and their own words, started every day sincerely deciding, Father, your will be done today in my life. And, and if I'm not there, would you keep the pressure on so when I come back tomorrow, I'll keep drawing near until I do. But in the meantime, everything good I already have and everything I need comes from you. So I'm just going to live today Surrendered and dependent. Surrendered 
and dependent. So here's how we'll end. You may have already done this today. You may have never done this in your entire life. But I thought if we don't leave this place at least giving ourselves an opportunity to do this, I think we missed the opportunity. And all the ascetics are going to love this moment. All the enthusiasts are going to feel like they're jumping out of their skin. Okay? But I just want us to spend some time in, in silent prayer, surrendering and declaring. And I don't know what you need to surrender. I don't know what you need to declare. I have no idea. But I just want to give you an opportunity to surrender and declare. Surrender and declare. Maybe you've already, again, you've already done this. Maybe you've never done it before. But in your own words, from the sincerity of your own heart, I just want you to pray how Jesus taught us to pray. And I'm aware we are not in private. We are in public. But you can find that private, unseen place in your heart. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open. But you can personally spend time surrendering and declaring. No music. Mark's not going to come out and start tinkering. No Pastor Tim talking. Just you and your father. Surrender and declare. And then I'll close whenever, we think, whenever I think we're done. All right? So... Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is um, this one of those moments where um, some of us love, some of us are a little uncomfortable with the silence. And I, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I'm at the front of the line when it comes to being uncomfortable with surrendering my will. But at the same time, I understand, I know that's the way to freedom. That's the way to relationship. That's the way to peace. That's the way to hope. That's the way to grace. So regardless of where we find ourselves in this moment, my, my prayer is simply that through your spirit that you would awaken something in each of us to want, to want to do your will. And if we don't, 
I'll wake up tomorrow morning and we'll pray the same thing. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Because we understand that's the way to live and to stay free. Jesus, thank you for, for teaching this in a way that is, is still so relevant. 2,000 years later, it just proves to me that your word is alive. It's active. It's just as true. It's just as relevant for us today as it was when you first spoke these words. Thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for the, the church. Thank you for um, the, the, the many, many, many people who have come before us and passed this down. And God, now it is our turn. It is our place. It is, it is, this is our generation. And we want to be men and women who pray how you taught us to pray. We want to be men and women who surrender and declare every single day, even if nobody else does. There's no other church, no other, no other Christians. Where, wherever we find ourselves in this world, we want to be men and women who do this, who pursue this, at a heart level, not just a head level. So would you help us with this? Holy Spirit, guide and direct as we leave this place, as we leave the, the, the emotion of this moment, that we leave knowing that you're with us, knowing that you continue to, to, to call to us, you continue to want to dwell richly, you're, you're, the message of Jesus, you want it to dwell richly in us. And would you just, again, continue to teach us how to draw near to you through prayer. Thank you for the privilege, the unbelievable honor to even approach your throne. It's unbelievable. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You are dismissed.